Hello and welcome to the third episode of the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Samuel Roberts and I'm the editor of PC Gamer and I'm joined by... Phil Savage, deputy editor. Andy Kelly, section editor. So this podcast is slightly delayed because we recorded it once and then uh, our Mac crashed, which is why you always go PC. That's the lesson that we learned there. Um, And uh, yeah, so this (laughs) it's going to be a slightly shorter episode this week, but we'll be back to our regular schedule of uh, Monday uh, as of next week, which is cool. Uh, We've still got a good variety of games to talk about, though. Uh, First of which is Day of the Tentacle Remastered, which came out recently on Steam and GOG and other platforms. And Andy, you've been playing it. Yeah, I reviewed it for us, so I took great joy in revisiting one of my favorite adventure games uh, with some shiny new paint on top of it. Um, So yeah, Double Fine remastered this, so it's been remastered with the care that, you know, if you went back to something you made, you know, so Tim Schafer was the co- co- kind of lead on Day of the Tentacle, Mm. and so he's, he's, you know, been at the, the forefront of this remaster, so it has that, it has the feel of a lovingly restored thing as opposed to some other company you know took it and 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 shined it up like the silent hill hd remaster which famously was yeah yeah of course we we um we did talk about this on the podcast that we recorded and got deleted but uh (laughs) i'll ask you again (laughs) how does um the remastering compare to something like uh, grim fandango which came out last year and uh you know was the the definitive version of that game for sure Was um, Grim Fandango, they had to redo the lighting system so that there was a sort of real-time lighting on the character models. We're not uh, based on the environment. Um, so it was, it was a bit more of a, a kind of um, dramatic makeover in some ways, whereas this is because it's 2D. They've just painted over the old pixel art, but they've done it you know, really well. They've mm. painted over it well. Um, so they've retained the original art style, which is really important, I think, because, for example, the Monkey Island remaster, some people were pretty steamed up about how they'd fundamentally changed the, the visual style of it, yeah. replacing Guybrush with the sort of lanky Guybrush of Curse of Monkey Island. So with this, it's the same. It's the day of the technical you you remember. You know, it looks the same uh, in, in terms of colors and, and animation and everything, but it's instead of pixels, it's now smooth lines, you know. And it scales up pretty well. I was playing on a 4K monitor, at 4K resolution, there was a slight blurriness, but, you know, sitting back a little bit, you don't sit with your eye at your face right up to the monitor, it looked pretty, looked pretty good. So they've, they've kind of future-proofed it. Now, that game has been kind of immortalized. It's now easy to access. Mm-hmm. It looks great at, up to ludicrous resolutions. Um, so you can still play the old one. If you've still got your old copy, you can still fire up Scum VM or DOSBox. But if you want a kind of more streamlined experience with the option of a more modern interface so instead of the wall of verbs you can now bring up a verb coin as they call it where it's got all the verbs around the item kind of thing um so if you want a more more, yeah streamlined way of playing the the old classic with some bonus extras like uh, director's commentary with most of the original team Mm. which is as you'd expect from anything involving tim schaefer is pretty funny yeah um, there's a big archive of artwork that they pulled out of the Skywalker Ranch LucasArts archives. Tim Schafer went there and pulled all these amazing original drawings by Peter Chan, who's the lead artist on that game, um, and a lot of other LucasArts games, and you know they've scanned all that stuff in. So usually concept art galleries are a bit like, who cares? But yeah, with a game, care, yeah, I care. Mo- most of the time I care, but with this game especially, because it's got such a legacy and Peter Chan's such a good artist and it's such a visually interesting game, it's, it was a real treat to look for all this original material and you can see like notes sketched on it from like Tim Schafer back in 1993 discussing ideas and all that. So, so you know, if you're, in, if you're a fan of the game and you want a, a little 
cherry on top of yeah. just replaying it. That's pretty interesting. The other nice thing that you uh, you talked about uh, when we were discussing it before was the um, the voices, which yeah. they've gone back and got the uh, got the original recordings. Yeah, they and... found the master tapes from the those original recording sessions, and so the so the dialogue sounds like it could have been recorded, you know, last week. Never mind, twenty three years ago. It's pretty amazing. Anyone who was a fan of the game hearing all those lines that you know and love without the sort of hiss and crackle of compression is pretty it's pretty cool like that so i think it'll appeal to people like me who are on a bit of a nostalgia trip but also it holds up as one of the best adventure games i think ever designed in terms of um, never feeling unfair or never feeling well rarely feeling willfully obtuse and um, the time travel mechanic which is the, the three characters are trapped in three different time periods and so one character will affect the past to affect the future and you know so so a cause and effect amusing time travel type stuff combined with sort of cartoon physics and um yeah it's just it's just it's just good yeah, it's, it's just a, it's just a great point and click adventure and it's yeah it's timeless i think it's it's just as good now as when i first played it way back in the 90s it's cool that um i think i think uh, disney's done a uh, quite a lot for uh, keep preserving uh, the old LucasArts games far more so than uh, that we saw LucasArts doing before they were bought by Disney. Yeah. So like seeing the amount of um, you know Star Wars games on GOG now, uh, things you can yeah. just get running instantly on a modern operating system. Like, yeah, the, um, it's cool that they're letting Double Fine do it because Double Fine, you know, Tim Schafer just asked, like, you've got the rights to these games. Can we restore them because we have a connection to them? And I think it's just Disney making good decisions, like making Star Wars good again. Yeah. Now they've given Tim Schafer the chance to restore these old important games, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and and yeah, immortalize them. Because they could have just said no, right? They could have just said no. Yeah, so many really companies care. would say no. Because yeah. There's, there are just much cheaper and there's much cheaper ways to do it than actually yeah. just like getting the entire studio or a studio with so many connections to this. Yeah. And it wouldn't have turned. Out, that's why you can tell that these ones, Grim Fandango and Day of the Tentacle, and I think they're doing Full Throttle next. have turned out so well in a way that if an external company had it been farmed out to some small company just to yeah, clumsily you, redraw the art and sort of... You were saying, yeah. like, with the with the audio files, that they actually needed to stitch together the master yeah. tapes in yeah, there's bizarre a, ways. To... There's a great documentary on Double Fine's YouTube channel. It's a making of the remaster, and the audio guy was talking about how the, the master tapes for the audio recordings weren't labelled or organised in any logical way. So he had to go through all these tapes and and find the dialogue and in doing that he discovered that some dialogue was made stitched up from like three takes so he had to re-stitch these takes together to make it sound yeah, exactly like it did in there level of effort that you just wouldn't go to unless no. you had that they would just of. use or, the original audio i bet if yeah. it was yeah. or, or an unpaid intern who would have to <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, that would be their job yeah. to go through i think this guy was full-time hopefully the guy who did that got paid a lot of money for doing that because it sounds <laughs> tedious and the results are, are brilliant it's it just sounds it sounds beautiful. So a slight echo on the on the voices that was probably from the original mics they used or whatever. But um, but you know it's, it sounds pretty damn crisp. And yeah, and if you don't like any of that, the art, the new art or the new the music's the same, but they've they've cleaned they've made it sound cleaner and used different MIDI instruments to make it sound a bit clearer. But you can press F one and it will just revert back to the old pixel art. And the old music. Oh, sweet! Like you in Monkey Island, three yeah. Glasses, yeah. And you can—it's quite fun just doing it throughout, just to see how they redraw stuff. And you can also use the, the new Verb Coin interface with the old art, or right. you can use the old music with the new art. You can like you can customize it, you know, to to be like 
tick out any element you don't like. How much of 90s adventuring are you willing to put <laughs> yeah. up with? <laughs> I, I, per, I personally use the new art with the old wall of verbs. Right. I prefer the, the, the old verb wall where, you, where it says, like, pick up, push, pull, shove, because, you know, maybe just because I'm used to that. But, yeah, it's cool that the options are. Something uh, we're doing this issue as well, in the uh, the next issue of the magazine, rather, on sale in May, is uh, Phil's going to play through Day of the Tentacle for the first time. Yep. Um, and he's got he can't, can't use a walkthrough. Yeah. And he has yep. to call Andy Kelly on a phone, um, yep. where he'll be charged the Lucas uh, get, uh, LucasArts uh, tips line or hint yeah. line uh, rate from the 90s. Which was like $3 a minute, I think, back yeah. in 93. So I, I don't know if I'll adjust it, adjust it for inflation. That would be a bit mean. Yeah, this just seems like <laughs> an elaborate way to get to, to, to bolster Andy's salary. Yeah. So yeah, he can, yeah. You can ask me for hints, but yeah, you can't use a walkthrough. So as if someone who was playing Day of the Technical back in 93 didn't have the internet, mm. all they could do was ring up the LucasArts hint line. Uh, I am uh, that uh, hint line. And Andy will speak really slowly. He'll go, make <laughs> yeah. sure your computer I rang one of those back on. in the uh, <laughs> I remember I rang the Nintendo hint line from a phone box up the street because I was stuck in Zelda on the Game Boy and oh, it, and it, and waiting. wasn't yeah. in the iDungeon by any chance was it it was, I, I was, it was. On, I, yeah, I was stuck on that for 15 there's years. Like, there's like finished a, it last year. Yeah, there's like a hidden wall or something that's really poorly yes. marked. Yeah, and I had to ring up there. I bet they did it on purpose. Yeah, I'm sure they did. Yeah, like, they must, yeah I bet they made more money from that than from the yeah. game. But so yeah. I was like, it was like the dead, it was like 11 o'clock at night, and I ran down a dark Glasgow street to, <laughs> to ring America on a phone booth at like, yeah, don't know how much it was, 5p a second or something <laughs> to get a hint for Zelda, but I did it and I was, yeah. Worth it. It's pretty chuffed. Totally so worth. I'll be recreating that magic with Phil. <laughs> I'll just give you all my pocket At great money. expense. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. I think we can reimburse it back to future. So that's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, cool. All right, so I might check that out. But uh, other stuff that's been going on, there's a new Fallout 4 DLC, the first of the, the first. many DLCs coming uh, in the next year. If yeah. you've bought the season pass uh, at its reduced rate, a few months ago, you'll get every piece of DLC they release. I think they've amped up their plans a bit since their yeah, first reveal of it. Originally, it would have been three bits, which seems like the standard amount of DLC that you get. But obviously, Fallout is a big money maker for Bethesda, so they're just they're going to go on and on. There's at least another season announced, whatever that consists of. Which is exciting. I mean, like um, the 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 main piece of DLC they've got coming up is a Nick Valentine themed one, where you yeah. go to you go to an island and uh, and you search for a missing woman. I believe that's the story. I can't remember. Bigger the name than of it, the Shivering but, uh, Isles. They're saying. You've got the name. This is after the last recording. You looked up the name during <laughs> yeah. the recording. Well, I've forgotten it again. I've drank a lot. Again. I drank a lot of cider <laughs> since that failed recording. So but yeah, it's bigger than the Shivering Isles, apparently. But I mean, that I don't is, know what that means. If, yeah. if it's not filled with interesting stuff, then it doesn't matter how big it is. But well, that, I, that's yeah. not the case for the first. Uh, DLC, which is called Automatron. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Because it is Automatron, <laughs> but the, the reason Phil laughs there is because we um, argued about whether it was Automaton or Automaton Automatron, or Automatron when we first yeah. recorded this podcast, which you listening to this will have no, uh, yeah. no we keep, understanding We keep of. referring to this podcast that they didn't hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's like an, a really exclusive in-joke <laughs> really just is. for the three of us. Yeah, and uh, we're not even enjoying it that much. So uh, <laughs> no, anyway, so Automatron on. DLC. It's a yeah. bit like Robot Wars, but in Fallout. Is that right? Sort of, I guess. There's no Craig Charles, so... <laughs> oh, I'm furious. I don't know whether that's a blessing or a Philippa curse. Philippa Forrester? No. <laughs> Come I... on, modders. Um, so, to, I don't know, borrow, borrow a cliche from tired old uh, football commentators, it's really a DLC of two halves. Uh, one of them is this uh, really quite good sort of crafting system where you can you put down this robot workbench and you can basically create and customize a robot companion. 
Um, you can like name them, give them the sort of voice personality style. So I've got this. Uh, he's got like my one's got this um, Mr. Handy Thruster. So they so they hover around, but has a giant vice for one hand and a flamethrower for the other. He's got this really cheerful face mask that is just fixed into a perpetual happy smile, um, and basically, I, I mean that's a really good side of it because. You can just mix and match all the parts from all the robots that you'll have met across Fallout 4, the automatrons and the protectrons, and all of these, all of these sort of um, design styles, and you sort of mash them together into a Frankenbot based on what you need to do, and and that's kind of cool. It sort of really gels with the kind of ramshackle, campy sci-fi of Fallout's universe that these sort of weird uh, personifications are brought to life. There's also a quest line, uh, which is maybe an hour or two of questing, um, and it's basically just you go into a few ruined buildings and you work your way through them and you kill hundreds and hundreds of robots. <laughs> oh, great. Um, okay, in no way does that sound uh, like a familiar experience in Fallout 4. Yeah, um, um, uh, that thing you did a lot in Fallout 4, prepare to do it for another hour. So it's more uh, it's more Mothership Zeta than uh, Point Lookout then. Yeah, I, I think if it Oof, was that's a really harsh comparison though, because Mothership Zeta was balls. <laughs> it was. It should have been good though. The environment was like cool, yeah. but, cool like, idea, um, but it just got it just went on for too long. The, yeah. the, the weird thing is, is, well, it definitely doesn't go on for too long. Um, but well, one of the things is like at least Mothership Zeta had this sort of very obvious conceptual theme that was different from the rest of the wasteland. Whereas the, the areas you're in in um, Automatron, for the most part, would just look like any ruined building that you go to. Um, so, you know, a place that's been taken over by bandits, a place where people are doing wacky science, that sort of thing. It's, it's so very just much through the standard fallout, yeah. you know, wheelhouse. They're just not, ruined corridors filled with yeah, bandits, yeah, some robots. Know, there's there's yeah. a bunch of terminals, and some of them are on, and some of them have been shorted out, and... Uh, and there's a lot of that's problems. why I stopped playing Fallout because too much of that, so that I'm really not drawn in by. So, I mean, to give, it to, its, to give it its due, like where you can customize robots, the main antagonist who is who is called the Mechanist, obviously drawing to the fictional character within the Fallout universe, but not necessarily that character to try and tiptoe around spoilers and stuff. Yeah. But they've also been building their own robots, and those robots are built out of a multitude of different parts. So two of the same type might have very different weapon systems and that gives the combat a sort of variety that that it kind of lacks across the main game and that's really good but in showcasing that they do end the quest line or, or one of the bits leading up to the end of the quest line is a sort of wave-based arena fight uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> wave-based arena fight is is a, a phrase often attached to DLC because it's probably quite easy to Clashing do. Clashing the clouds for Bioshock yeah, Infinite. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hey, was, we've got a yeah. horde mode now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this isn't that. It's, it's just like a set-piece fight. It's not a, like a, an actual arena that you go in and out of. It's just it's this is one that moment that leads up to the resolution. But you're just like, oh, I've just done a very long ruined building dungeon thing. And now <laughs> you're expecting me to use the remnants of my ammo on this. And once you've done it, do you? what's your reward for... That slog. Uh, once you've done everything, so over the course of this hour or two, you'll pick up a couple of new weapons. Uh, so one of them's this Tesla rifle that's all right, but 
is nowhere near as good as some of the weapons that I've already modded and, you know, some of the unique weapons I've found. Does it fire as lightning bolts? It fires lightning bolts that chains between enemies. Sort of a standard weapon idea that, you know, works okay in kind of... It it works okay if you're in a wave-based arena. It's like chain lightning (laughs) from Diablo. Yeah. Better than a gun. But not quite as punchy. (laughs) Um, And then... Uh, you you get some special armor, and you once you complete it, you just unlock the ability to create any of the mod, any of the robot mods, um, and that sort of means if you want to really use this robot system, which is which is good fun, you do have to go through the quest line. Can um, you create a robot and bring it along with you in addition to a companion? Or does it replace no, your companion? Like I'm meat. sure with mods you can... Oh, you could with mods, yeah. I'm sure. But yeah, I think it works like dog meat, whereas ah, okay. like, it's it's not uh, it's not, it's not got a personality as such. It's not like Nick Valentine or Piper or anyone, but it is your one set companion. You can create robots and send them to villages, though, um, your settlements, and have them you know act as villagers, essentially, and pad uh-huh. out any area that you need. And can you, um, can you give Codsworth a new body? Oh, I haven't tried it on Codsworth. Because I, I saw someone on Reddit mentioning, like, oh, I gave Codsworth this uh, so-and-so, and then they showed a screenshot of a big, tough-looking robot, and I, I've thought maybe you can mod Codsworth it's to give him a new body. It's you can. I haven't tried it, yeah, Maybe actually. if you go and talk to him, it'll be like, oh, sir, can you mod me? <laughs> mod me, that. sir, mod me. <laughs> Could have raised the score a little bit. But, yeah. no, you do get a couple of, like, set robot followers as part of the, the DLC, like a couple of actual specific characters they are. Yeah. And you can mod both of them. Um, but... Yeah, I don't see why you wouldn't be able to with Codsworth. Yeah. You should try that when, you, uh, yeah. when we're done. I am. Um, Turn him into one of the, <laughs> the giant military. Yeah, I like the idea of that. Like giving him a, a better <laughs> body than that floating orb that he's trapped in. So the, the, the key thing for me, I think, is that like uh, I wouldn't go back and play Fallout 4 just for this DLC. Um, I'm going to wait till a few DLCs stack up, then go back to it later in the year, just because I, I, I just feel so done with it right now. I really enjoyed it, but yeah. like, um, yeah. it, it burns it burns you out, that game. Like, it's I, th- just, I think you know, you, you, we're waiting for this, to see if this kind of final um, DLC island place is is actually going to be like an interesting reason to return. And if it is, then having stuff like the robot workshop on the side, that'll be nice. It'll just be sort of a nice extra that will kind of lead into this new adventure. Yeah, but it's mm. not a reason to return in and of itself. Mm, interesting. The fact that they picked Nick Valentine as the focus of the big DLC seems quite reactive to the way he's the most beloved follower in that game. Uh, do you think they always planned it, or do you think they went? People love Nick Valentine. Let's. Uh, I th- I think that like um, he's he's also the one who's got the most like uh, potential stories to tell because he's yeah, sort definitely. of been around the block. Yeah, you know? and they, and they did. I mean, they tried that a little bit with like you know there were a couple of missions that are based around oh just you know doing solving solving problems for Nick and solving or solving problems for the people who come to Nick. Yeah. Um, and, and it was really a thing that they it didn't seem like that like that could have been a full kind of quest in the style of say you know the Dark Brotherhood or whatever from from an Elder Scrolls game that could have been a full kind yeah. of line and and it was just like a mission or two and it just didn't quite mm. fulfill its potential but hopefully this will be redress that a bit. I really liked Piper. Um, did her story go anywhere? Did she turn out to be a synth? Have I imagined that? I don't think she did. No, okay. Yeah. I think I, I, think I never I even picked her up. That. I never um, used her once in my yeah, like, I think sixty I think I hours for a while, and then I I read her newspaper and went, oh, you, this this is this is poor. 
newspaper. It was a poor newspaper. She wasn't a synth. But that would have been such a good twist if the person reporting on the synths was a synth. That would have been yeah. like amazing. Like, Maybe there, that's why I thought it was a thing. There is it's a, a good a idea. <laughs> major character from that area that is definitely a synth. Yes, I remember that one. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah, don't spoil it because I might go back to it one day. No, that's no, okay. Just, okay, yeah. Just trying to work out where this came from. <laughs> no, no, I, I just. I, I missed it. I, I, I just imagined it clearly. Um, <laughs> Dreams. <laughs> Dreams that we've had. <laughs> I, I think that was important in Fallout 3, though, because like, um, having new environments to explore just uh, made that world feel so much bigger. Because like, mm. um, just seeing Alaska or wherever the pit was, where was that? I can't remember now. Pittsburgh. Pit, but, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was in a specific city in... Uh, was it in Pittsburgh? Yeah, it was. What am I talking was, about? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Idiot. Um, and uh, yeah, or just going to um, wherever Broken Steel was set on that, like, that runway. Like uh, I just that adds so much uh, sort of like texture yeah, to the world. Yeah, it, it, like it, it's a great chance to add some extra sort of depth around the sides of of this place that they've built. Yeah. Um. And and well, yeah, this doesn't like it's the, the some of the insides of the building is new. Like that there's some there's some art textures there you'll not have seen before, but it's not quite the same as having like a brand new place that you think, oh well, this this actually yeah. forwards my understanding. Like people doing strange science pre-apocalypse in the Fallout world is not a revelation to any character. Like, that's... No, and like, uh, I like... My sort of ideal quest, the ones like in... Um broken steel uh, where you where you can go you can go to that environment or in uh, point lookout where that mansion explodes mm. um just like uh, these kind of like one off moments that happen in the open world as opposed to going inside another interior that's just going to you know go through some great yeah, corridors it, again and again and again it definitely feels like the questing here was like a flimsy excuse to just get the robot crafting system in right. and i sort of don't know why they didn't just put the robot crafting system in and said yeah, okay. I know there's no there's no additional stuff here. There's just there's just more workshop stuff, but we've we're putting all that effort into the final DLC. I, I think in fairness to Bethesda, they were they probably thought that like if they released that for money, people would complain but if it was just by itself. They're doing that for the second DLC. I think it's called Wasteland Workshop or something, and okay. it is mostly like about taming animals and um, stuff like that. I think. Okay. If, if I'm remembering correctly, so it's not like they're averse to doing this, but I, so I don't know why they then thought, okay, well for this one we definitely also need a bit of plot for it. It's like, well, fair enough, but what you've done is you've made like a decent side quest and you've released it as an extension, and, and you know, the, I, I don't know if I needed another more of that in what is already a fairly big game. Oh, that's fair enough. Um, all right then, cool. We'll come back to Fallout in a, sh in a few months, I'm sure. Okay, so. Uh we, me and Phil, over the weekend, we um, along with PC gamers Tom Senior, we all spent uh, fifteen pound each on buying uh, twenty liters of cider. And then, this is um, going somewhere, by the way. <laughs> it is, and so we decided to turn that into an excuse to play a bunch of uh, couch co-op games. Um, so we played badly, badly yes. So we played uh, Soul Calibur 2 through what I will describe as legal means for the sake of this podcast. Uh, how did that? Um, how did that run on this legal? medium through which you played it well it Excellent. was it was on uh that playstation game 2 so uh you know oh, it, it was, was on fine. a playstation 2 oh yeah, yes, yeah of course yeah, it yeah. Was. So it I, think, no, I, yeah. I think we can say that it was on an emulator but yeah. but you on the original disc PS2 and of soul caliber yeah. 2 because why would i ever part with some some just golden fights is it still the bomb oh it's still great it's really good yeah really really that was really good fun and it and it looked amazing when uh, upscaled as well yeah um allegedly <laughs> <laughs> Uh, phew, I'm covered. Um, 
And that was that was really good actually, and that, that kind of led to a series of other sort of like good uh, co-op games. Um, just there's actually quite a, f- a few good ones around. Oh, on, definitely, um, yeah, on yeah. PC. Um, it was a couple of years ago that really sort of but in the in the kind of pre-Nidhog phase where every every games journalist had played Nidhog and wouldn't stop fucking talking about it, yeah. but nobody on the public could actually play it yet. Some other developers managed to sort of develop and get out their sort of local co- couch multiplayer games. So, so I think that was once a thing. You could only play Nidhog on these arcade machines, and now it's like £3.74 in every Steam sale. Yeah. Do you think it's because they're relatively... Not, I'm not saying they're easy because making games is never easy, but I'm saying like for a single indie developer, to make a single screen co-op multiplayer game is probably more feasible than making. Maybe oh, that's why there's so many of them. Online mode because uh, or making a bigger like a normal game, uh, a bigger a normal, a normal game, game. Oh. not one of these not normal games. You know what I mean? So like maybe that's why there's so games. many of them because it's more it's manageable. You can set down that you you've only got one screen to work with, kind of thing. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe, but I mean, it's um. Uh, so a bunch of these games still, you think, came from that, or it was just it happened to be. It, I, I, don't, I don't know whether they came from that or whether like the PC ecosystem was just ripe to capitalize on it at the time. Yeah, I, I think that, that that there was definitely a shift there where it became like not just acceptable but kind of commonplace for mm. you know couch co-op games to come to PC. Um, and so we played a bunch of them the weekend, including um, Sports Friends. Uh, yeah, Sports Friends, which is like a, a, a collection of four games. Although if you're playing it on PC, it's only three games. Because uh, Johann Sebastian Joust, which was created for the, like the PlayStation Move, only works for Mac and Linux, right? For some reason, um, that is weird. We didn't play that anyway, because but we did play Super Pole Riders, which is one of the collection games. And, and so that is uh, the goal of that is is there's two goals on either end, and you mm-hmm. both have um, poles that you have to use to hit this bowling ball. Is that right? Yeah, basically. And that's on a um, string like above you, so you have to kind of like ping yourself up, you know, kind of like get the uh, get the timing timing of it right, and then and yeah, then hit the like ball as competitive well. pole vaulting. Yeah, but your pole has other uses. Like you can just you can just use your pole to whack the ball directly. Uh, it's not quite as good as kicking it. You get a big boost uh, in your direction if you kick the thing. Yeah, but you can also use your pole to slap other players away from the ball or or create like this strange tussle way where you're both it's like a lightsaber battle of of poles just cannot move you're just trying to stop each other from jumping but it's it's incredibly good fun like Mm. um watching the ball kind of like because you you can get you can sort of mistime it a bit and and hit the ball a bit and it moves along slightly but if you if you time it perfectly you get a really nice sound effect and the ball just sails along this rope and the other player's scrambling with their stick pointed in the air to try yeah, and keep like, the ball away from their goal. It's, what, it's, it's all in 2D point. as well. This is, this is not a simulation in any way. It is very <laughs> no. much a physics silliness game. Uh, one of my favourite tactics being as soon as somebody got close to got close to the ball, just running up behind them and using my pole to flick them out of the way and stuff like that. It's, it's like <laughs> there's lots of very silly things you can pull off. It may, uh, yeah, it may, it may be think if we ever have time again, um, we should definitely try and live stream some more of those kind of like co-op games. That would be a good fun thing to do on a Friday afternoon if yeah. we ever have time again. No one um, watched it last time, but it was good. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Um, yeah, that was really enjoyable, and then that kind of that led into uh, a bunch of other stuff, didn't it? Like mm. uh, we played Samurai Gun after that. You which were is, really impressed by Samurai Gun, weren't you? It's amazing. It's a bit like uh, well, it's a bit like Tower of All Ascension, right? Um, in that you're you're in these um, contained environments yeah. trying to... Looping environments as well. If you fall off the bottom of the screen, you just appear from the top. And... Yeah. And you're just trying to basically kill the other players as much as you can, and whoever's got the most lives wins. Uh, sorry, the most kills wins. It feels great, that one. I don't really like those single-screen cop games, but we played Samurai Gun in the stream, and it, the actual feel of the... 
yeah. movement and stuff is so perfect. It just feels really the directional satisfying. use of the um, of the sword, like being able to like point bottom right and get someone while yeah. you're, mm. you're falling towards them in the air. Like, yeah, like I, I, honestly, Annie, I've got no sort of real like enjoyment or love of those games either. But this this was just it was just phenomenal. I didn't really liked Nidhogg. Didn't get on as much with Towerfall, but I think yeah, Sam, Samurai Gun is probably the better of. I don't know if I quite prefer it to Nidhogg, which is has a little bit of depth to it in terms of like the parrying and the way you position your swords and that. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely just a really solid, fun game. Yeah. No, it's, it's it was really good, and I, to the to the point where I'm actually a bit surprised it hasn't become like a runaway hit. I think it was just sort of it just sort of came and went. On Those PC. games are quite limited by not many people have four people to sit in the yeah, same room. I mean, Play Unless with. you're a games journalist or a student, yeah, it's yeah. going to be a lot of people. Will be yeah, maybe that's the only reason. Yeah, I guess because you, it really is. You know, you need the amount of controllers for the, that amount of people to play as well. And it, yeah. I, I can't imagine it's as fun with two people. It really is. I think it requires three. Yeah, or more. I, think it, I think it helps me the party game. Otherwise, it just becomes very intense. And... It's, I guess it's telling that it took us like we've I've worked here for two and a half years, and this is the first time we've ever done anything like this. Uh, you know, uh, outside of work. So yeah, it's it's not a very common occurrence, but. I don't know, for, for that hour or so we were playing it, that was amazingly good fun. Mm. It's got really nice art as well. Um, yeah. yeah, just Good music and good aesthetic and, yeah, just really well-made game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah really, really good. Like the other game we played was a lot easier because uh, it's a Mount Your Friends, which is... Um, this is a games journalism favourite game, isn't it? Yeah, it, it looks... About two years ago, I remember games journalists just banging on about it non-stop. Like for one thing, it's a pass-the-pad sort of game, so you actually take your turn, and then at the end of it, you know, it says, okay, next player, and you just hand it over, and they... It's hard to describe, really, because it looks like it should be made by Bennett Foddy, who made Co-op and actually made Super Pole Riders as well. Um, it's got that kind of really difficult... To con- like a very simple thing to do that's actually amazingly difficult. It's not made by him, but it's kind of in that style. Yeah. So, um, so it's basically like an ever growing tower of men in pants, yeah. and like um, and and however you have to get above a certain line to keep the the mount going, and you control each limb individually using the button, the face buttons of the controller. Yeah, each face button is a different limb, so, and you've so, got to detach. Like if it goes green, that means it's stuck to whichever limb it's whichever other player it's yeah. sort of grabbed onto. So you've then got to detach and swing and it's completely unrealistic in the swinging, but, um, but yeah. it is it is very difficult to actually but so satisfying when you get it right because like um, holding down uh, any button detaches the limb, the respective limb. Mm. So if you're holding down three buttons and 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 you've got the other limb attached, then you can swing all three of those at once. That's for it. Example. You can make huge progress unless you come to say the Samuel overhang, <laughs> which is what we called every time Sam yeah. failed his turn and was just stuck sideways could, in, could, in the most difficult to maneuver path. Because you've always got like a minute. Uh, to to get as high as you can uh, to get to, to the, top, the top to the reach pile, the top yeah. and if you don't then you're then wherever you're stuck because it's like the death zone on Everest it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these bodies just pile up <laughs> and, got, and they're frozen there and then you've got to climb over the eliminated players as they're frozen in place even if they're sideways as you always were yes which I was my advantage more than once it, it <laughs> yeah. was like you had to climb yeah it was just a, an impossible cliff that I created but um <laughs> It's it's really good fun and really tense, really funny, and uh, yeah, I I think costs almost nothing to 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 own on Steam, and that's that is a good game you can play with two people for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and you don't need multiple pads or anything like that. It's really just easy to set up and play, and yeah, before you know, it, you can be practicing on your goat approach where you attempt to 
actually make it to the goat that is the bottom of every pile. Yeah. Just just walking over to him is one of the hardest things to do. <laughs> Indeed, yes. It's yeah, that is surprising. That's probably the hardest thing about it. Uh, but um, no, really good. And like uh, the you know, I, I don't know about now, but the uh, the co op uh, split screen or pass the pad scene on PC is certainly rich with good games if you you know willing to go out there and find them mm. um, from a few years ago. And they were really good fun. And also, there's emulation. Uh, well, a- allegedly, but you know, I-, I can't really comment either way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure we can admit to the existence of emulation. Okay, I, I acknowledge that it exists. Sort of its grey areas. It is a de- there's definitely a few grey areas when it comes to the operating system of the PS2 as well. <laughs> but you know, nonetheless. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll be back uh, after a short break with some reader questions. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. So uh, we've got a few reader questions here. Um, uh, we're going to start off with Dave Dore, who asks, is PC gaming gro- really growing as much as we think, or is Steam's monopolization over the industry actually stunting PC gaming growth? I've got two answers to this. The first is yes, and the second is no. That's okay. yes. <laughs> yes, PC gaming is very strong right now, and Steam's monopolization, no, that's not stunting PC gaming's growth. Yeah, because like, anything's on Steam's can... new release schedule. Yeah, and, and even outside of Steam, you got... Itch and Gog and yeah, there's just there's too the amount of times like I've I've seen a game on Steam or, or other platforms and gone, oh that looks interesting we should review that and then it's like oh it came out four months ago yeah. it's like yeah. it's impossible or, to keep track of we just all... cannot find space for this one thing that looks yeah. interesting because there's ten other things there's that look too interesting too many and... games well for example <laughs> I think, didn't Oculus just release 21 games on day one of the Rift and like yeah. we're scrambling just to get through those you know yeah like, and uh, um, like this, this January was perfect example. Like if if you were working, you know, for one of the console sectors, it was just a dead month for reviews. There were not many games out there. Yeah, and we had to run like a bumper review section because we just couldn't fit in. It was a Jan- many- yeah, a January review special, which never happens. Nineties yeah. <laughs> everywhere. It was. It yeah, was. Yeah. January's usually like notoriously dry for games mags, and but it's not not in PC gamer where it's just constant. The um, whole year is. Games, games, games. On a deeper level, like if you look at when about a decade ago, when like the height of the Xbox 360, and everyone was saying, "Oh, PC gaming is definitely dying." The difference between then and now, when nobody is saying that, is Steam got really big and got really good at providing publishers with like an acceptable and kind of easy way for them to harness a large PC audience. Yes, it's unbelievable. Like, um, I think I think the other thing was that the um, I, I read a thing saying that the, in the first two months of this year on Steam, there were more games released in than in the entirety of 2012 on Steam. I think that's what I read. But it was certainly a, the two months eclipsed an entire year of Steam's history. Yeah, it wouldn't like, surprise uh, me. I mean, part of that is because of like what they've done with Greenlight and the fact that Valve has sort of. A lot of people like to say, "Oh, they're not a curated store anymore." I wouldn't. I, I would argue that Steam was never a curated store. They've always allowed some real dross onto the platform, but usually it was through publisher deals rather than indie stuff. Mm. And now, yeah, a lot of shites coming onto this store, but it also means a lot of really weird, interesting things are coming onto the store as well. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I it's definitely not. Uh, it's stunting PC gaming's growth. I mean, it's all. it's you know the the alternative is is so much worse. You know, like if, if games for Windows is if you consider that as you know an alternative, if you yeah, didn't have Steam. like if if Windows Store became the default, yeah, be, oh, the yeah. Windows Store as it is is awful. Let alone. So I guess the answer is everything is okay. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I quite like it where uh, you get 
Tomb Raider game coming out in January than Firewatch in February. That's a, that's a good pace for me, yeah. um, even if there is too much stuff to review. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, next question is from Andy Ross, who says, do you think there's any games that sank without a trace but will be heralded in the future as a game beyond its time? That's a good I, question. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying there. Like, um, Do you think most games are sort of are sort of heralded in the time? I think we're getting pretty good at, at detecting when a game's are. Well, yeah, but there's yeah, like there's I think so. Be if you think about like the cult games of the past, there were things like uh, Psychonauts or Beyond Good and Evil, which oh, were yeah. which got really good critical kind of consensus, but just weren't picked up. Yeah, commercially, Psychonauts is a good one. But I, th- I think now it would have been like Psychonauts and Beyond Good and Evil. I think these days you'd be looking at things like Akami. Or Vanquish when it comes to the console side. Yeah. Certainly on the console side, but it's hard to think of the same things because, like, sort of slightly smaller scale non AAA stuff is getting a much better reception. You've got things like Firewatch and even like Undertale like or yeah, yeah, Stardew Valley, like Oxen Free, Pony Islands. Like they find their audiences and 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 the other thing is they're always available. Whereas mm. um, in the old days, things would be re-released or uh, you know they might appear on Steam for the first time or digital platforms like Day of the Tentacle has. Like um, so, it's harder for games to sync without yeah, a trace. Anyway, things don't go know? out of print yeah. these days. And it's hard to yeah. kind of it's hard to predict what will become important. And when it comes to any medium, I think like some, you know, even films that might come out now, you, you don't, you can't really necessarily tell which ones will be looked back on as classic examples of whatever genre, or whatever you know. It's, it's hard to second guess time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good point. Um, and I'm trying to think of one that happened on PC recently where it did it vanished, and then like maybe like a community sprung up around it, and then it it became bigger and bigger, like. I don't know, like, I mean, I, maybe, actually, this doesn't really count, but, like, uh, Just Cause 2 certainly had a continued life uh, beyond just being given a 7 or 8 out of 10 by everyone, and then, you know, it, it really grew into its own yeah. Yeah. its own thing. Uh, like, it's uh, mod really helped with that to an extent as well. And, yeah, um, that's a key part of it on PC, I think. Yeah. The extended life of a game it depends entirely on how easily modelled it is or, like, um, you know, or, or what kind of community there is around it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Alright then, so uh, next question is from Michael. Is is there a game you spent way more time modding than playing than never went back to because something new was out? Andy, that sounds like something you would do. Yeah, no, I don't I don't actually do that much modding. I'm I'm kind of a lot of mods I feel like dilute the original vision of the game a bit. And I know that's what oh, mod, that's, that's what modding is, but I'm very much of the preserving what the developers intended type of person. If, yeah, if you uh, if you take the borders off of the evil within, you're betraying Shinji Mikami. <laughs> Just, I <laughs> A said famous the, Andy Kelly yeah, tweet. Disrespecting, not betraying. But yeah, yeah, I'm I, I'm actually I do like I do like playing with mods for uh, cinematic stuff, controlling the cameras and all that. But yeah, for actually. Uh, the, and actually some Skyrim mods I think actively improve the game like the new start mod that lets you skip oh, yeah, that yeah, whole yeah. bit about being a prisoner and you just choose where you want to start the game so I'll play those ones I'll install those ones but yeah generally I'm not I'm not much of a modder so I've not really spent I think Skyrim's the game I've modded the most uh, just for the shield yeah. Stuff. yeah stuff like that down, yeah down a Skyrim modding hole and uh, to, to the point of this question like I spent a long time playing that game originally, but then I was like, oh, I'll start a new character, and I went really deep into getting all the mods right and finding which visual mods wouldn't destroy the... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm less worried about um, disrespecting Bethesda's art style because it can be a bit ramshackle at times, <laughs> yeah. a bit all over the place. But, um, yeah, spent a lot of time choosing the right mods for that and which ones look good, and then 
get it getting it all perfect and then not actually playing the game. Yeah. So I've got my mod system. I've got I've got <laughs> my mods my mod order sorted. Everything's good. I'm gonna go play something else now. I, I'm I'm a bit like that too actually. Like um I, I prefer mods that of kind of visual enhancements or things like uh or even controller support for older games or uh what's the other example I was thinking of recently? Uh, XCOM 2's time-saving mod, for example, okay, yeah. um, stuff like that that's just basic and useful. But yeah, yeah I, I don't really is the game. really uh, a fan of like that small-scale stuff that is just like usability or graphics tweaks or complete total conversions that are like this is going to be a different game and you're going to start a new campaign and go on. I'm not so big on like quest mods that just drop into the middle because usually you find like the voice acting or whatever you know the fact that it's an amateur project just really detracts from yeah any kind of ongoing immersion through the thing so i i, I think i prefer to just read about those on our website you know like yeah, yeah that's that's uh, i, I mean i downloaded them when i was doing like the magazine's top 10 free downloads like okay which what good quest mods are there but you don't I have wouldn't have now. played them outside of the fact that I had to for my <laughs> job. Yeah. Well, it's very honest of you. <laughs> doesn't matter now. It's, it's okay. all over. <laughs> okay, cool. So our last question today is, after the stunning Alien Isolation, what film would you like the most to see expanded upon in a game? Uh, I didn't write down who gave us that question, so uh, whoever you are, question, cheers, yeah. mate. But good work. Yeah. I think yeah. for me, the, ever since I played Isolation, I dreamed of that same dev team with that same attention to detail making... Uh, doing a game of The Thing, John Carpenter's oh, yeah. The Thing. So set in that Antarctic base, mm. um, some sort of trust system with other characters, not knowing whether they have been thung by The Thing. They've been thunged. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. terminology, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's been thunged. <laughs> but yeah, so I think like they would do recreating the the look and ambience of that film, which is a really just drenched in atmosphere, I think. The Alien Isolation team could have done that brilliantly. That, that, the game that was based on the thing that came out in about 2003, that was acclaimed at the time, I remember. Yeah, it was, it was decent, yeah. I, did, I had it on a PS2 back in the day, and it did capture some of the atmosphere, but it sort of it had a quite a cool trust system where you, any character could be thunged. Yeah, but um, <laughs> you've been thunged. Yeah, but it was generally, it just it got it got bored of itself towards the end and just, well, let's just bring in loads of Marines that you shoot with a gun. Yeah. But yeah. I think, yeah, just a really atmospheric game that stays true to the spirit of the tension of the film would be amazing just just x number of characters and you're just going about your business trying to work out who's been thunged yeah i I don't think the game design is that good but um i think the blade runner game by westwood has really captures the atmosphere of that that world well it it can't help but feel like a straight to d uh, straight to vhs (laughs) sequel in places particularly with the voice acting but um some of the the original environments they use are are amazing like it it looks really really good and and the sound design is excellent as well yeah they've totally Um, nailed the look of it and the sound of it i'm hoping that cyber Punk by CD Projekt Red will have some Blade Runner ambience to yeah, it as well. I, yeah. This this question did remind me of um, Prey Two, which was supposed to be Blade Runner in space, and you were a bounty hunter. You were a bounty hunter, just going around capturing yeah. aliens, and it just sounded so cool. And like whether that team or wasn't it given to wasn't it rumored to have been given to Arcane at one point uh, as yeah. well? And yeah, that would have been good. But, um, um, like yeah. you know, whoever ended up making it, that would have been that would have been a thing that I would have enjoyed playing. I still like to play a Star Wars open world game as well, or like uh, you know just a more intimate sort of first person story based game um, mm. than n- not always being a Jedi or being in a spaceship. Yeah, no Jedi, just being like a, just yeah. being a smuggler on Coruscant or something. Yeah, yeah, it seems that 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 world is open to a lot more interesting games than yeah. But certainly now that it's being kind of resurrected and brought back, I guess the question is: Is EA brave enough to make? Because they're the ones who have the license, essentially. <laughs> Are they brave enough to make something that isn't just? 
bells and whistles and Jedi's and it's uh, the chances of them making like a systemic game just seems so unlikely, doesn't it? Yeah. But like, um, I don't know. I mean, that's that's what I'd like to see. But uh, I don't. I, the, the sad thing is, Alien Isolation didn't seem to do well enough to get a sequel. So yeah, and most of the team have actually drifted off to other projects now, mm. which really it, 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 it punches me in the gut as much as Team Silent not no longer existing. The Alien Isolation team is yeah. All the all the main people now work for other companies, which is yeah. A bit the of a, actual the actual team. Uh, uh, that that sort of area of creative assembly is doing Halo Wars two, yeah. which is which I'm sure will be good, but good, like, but, um, but it's this was a, a real special one off, and yeah. it's a shame that it's uh, remaining that way. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. All right. Well, we'll be back uh, on Monday with a new podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, you can, but you also don't have to, and uh, and that's good. I reckon <laughs> that should be celebrated. You know, yeah. <laughs> free will. It's it's great. <laughs> Um, if you want to mail us, is it PCGamer at FutureNet.com? It's PCGamer at FutureNet.com. Yeah, you... uh, maybe put podcast in the subject uh, so I won't confuse you with the million press releases that get sent into that, that account. Indeed. And then if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at PCGamer as a, as a brand. But then there's also at Samuel W. Roberts if you want to follow me, Phil. Uh, at Octader, which is O-C-T-A-E-D-E-R. And uh, Twitter legend Andy Kelly. Who is... I'm at Ultra Brilliant. That's cool. Just tweet us with your feedback or your questions and we'll uh, we'll ask them on the podcast. And thank yep. you very much for listening. See you next week. Thank you.